0: Well, last weekend we began to consider the core commitment, the life defining commitment of those who love God and those who have begun to grasp the eternity God has placed within their hearts. Last week we began talking about the commitment to obey God. And I suggested it's not something we come by easily, quite the contrary there is something in us that stiffens at the very idea of obedience. And that something has a name, our sin. Our innate inclination to self-rule and to self-sufficiency. Now when that inclination that we're all born with takes its cues from fear, from pride, from insecurity, from our ignorance of God, When it refuses to concede to God's grace and God's truth, the idea of obeying God is unappealing at best and repulsive at worst. It's seen as loss rather than gain, and we tend to run from obedience to God. But where faith says yes, to the work of God's Spirit. Where faith says yes to God's grace and God's truth, the Holy Spirit begins to change our opinion. He gives us discernment, the ability to grasp spiritual reality. And then we begin to recognize that God's call to obedience isn't an enslaving ultimatum, obey me or else. It's an emancipating invitation. We begin to recognize that when we align our lives with God's perfect love and God's perfect character, that's in our own best interest. Now, as we saw last weekend, obedience to God isn't an illogical house of cards. It's built on the most secure foundation in the universe because it's built upon God's eternal, perfect, unchanging character and truth. So this weekend, I want to continue my argument in defense of obedience. And as I do, my objective is really rather simple. I want you to better appreciate the utter relief and the unreserved rewards of obeying God in all things. I want you to better walk in obedience so that we can better model obedience, so that we can better communicate obedience to a world trapped in the addiction of sin and I want obedience to be the passion of our hearts. So let me read again the declaration of Peter and the apostles. When they were confronted with an ultimatum, they made this declaration in Acts five twenty-nine. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Since this is part two, I've, in, I've cleverly entitled this week's teaching The Passion of the Discerning Heart, part two. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your Spirit, enable me to preach and teach your truth accurately and faithfully. And by your Spirit, enable every one of us, myself included, to understand what you're saying to us, to hear invitation rather than ultimatum, and to graciously align our lives with your truth. Lord, we want to be different people because of our time together in community and in the Word. And we recognize that that depends upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Melt us and mold us, fill us, and use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's word together today, may the Lord be with you. you. Freedom, it's often found in unlikely places. It waits behind doors that we're reluctant to open. So I want to suggest this weekend some recognitions that will relieve your reluctance. Beginning with this one. God's people aren't God's people because they're a cut above the rest of humanity. We've all worn the colors of the rebellion, and we've all laid siege to the city of God. All of us have sinned, and all sin is ultimately personal. It is an affront and an assault against God. So when we step into God's kingdom at the invitation of God's grace, it's both the end of something and the beginning of something else. It's the end of our rebellion. Our rebellion is over. We lay down our lot, our arms. We're at peace with God. We become citizens of the very kingdom that we once sought to destroy. And as our rebellion ends, our forgiveness and our acceptance, it's immediate and it is complete. But, while our rebellion has ended, something else, something also critically needed, is just beginning. You see, salvation is the start of our spiritual recovery. We have to learn to replace our former addiction with a new devotion. And toward that end, God graciously begins the lengthy process of liberating us from all of the ugly residue of our previous addiction. From the misguided pride that instigated it, the dopamine of deception that reinforced it. He patiently and progressively shines the spotlight of conviction into our souls, showing us our complicity in evil and showing us our addiction to sin. He exposes the empty myths that framed the empty life that we lived before we came to Jesus. With loving but very sharp-edged honesty, God exposes our idols. He shows us our misplaced priorities and allegiances. He shows us our paralyzing fears, our haunting insecurities, our disappointing illusions, our often well-disguised hatreds, our often thinly disguised angers, our insatiable greed, our smoldering jealousies. And anything and everything that is contrary to our divinely intended identity. God knows that in our former addiction to sin, we hurt him, we hurt other people, and we hurt ourselves. So to use the language of the recovery community, our recovery isn't complete until we've cleaned up our side of the street. So beginning at the moment of conversion and continuing throughout all of our life, God engages the hard work of our recovery, and he invites us to join him. Now, when you consider obedience in that context, in the context of recovery from addiction, then you begin to understand why obedience is so necessary. In order to transform us, God must, command us." Let me say that again. In order to transform us, God must command us. He can't liberate us from the stubborn residue of our previous spiritual addiction or the deficiencies of our present faith if we refuse to follow Him and refuse to obey Him in what Scripture refers to as the renewing of our minds new ways of looking at things, new ways of acting on things, new ways of reacting to things, new ways of relating to people. God calls us to obedience so that we can see past the lies of addiction, so that we can see His heart, so that we can recover our identity as beings created in His image. He knows that we will never find Joy and the full measure of freedom and dignity he intended if we don't abandon the most stubborn illusion known to man. The stubborn illusion that reinforces the addiction to sin. The illusion of our independence. The illusion that our life without God is normal and that we are in control. And make no mistake... The idea of our independence is an illusion. Worse, it is a cruel hoax, and here's why. The alternative to obeying God isn't independence. The alternative to obeying God is addiction to evil. It's either obedience to God or addiction to evil, not obedience to God or your autonomy and your independence. Addiction to the evil in the universe, addiction to the evil in your own heart. You see, Adam and Eve launched us into this mess when they embraced the demonic lie that God's commands were conspiracies aimed at preventing their autonomy and their independence. They assumed that God was just protecting his turf that he was holding out on them, that he didn't want them to be his equals. What a ludicrous thought. And they learned too late that God's commands are not his conspiracies. You see, when God writes poison on the label, you will never find pleasure in the contents. If you insist on doing things your own way, then your own way is all you are ever got to know. And that's a bad deal, because Scripture says there is a way that seems right unto human beings, but the end of it is what? Destruction. When Adam and Eve sought individual independence and autonomy, when they sought power in their disobedience, they lost the majesty of devotion, and they fell headlong into the numbing, monotony of the addiction to sin many of those who abuse drugs have needle marks on their arm well the immediate responses of adam and eve to god once they sinned marked their loss they thought they'd feel liberated instead they felt conflicted they thought they'd feel powerful instead they were fearful They thought they would stand up with previously unknown confidence. Instead, they hid with previously unknown shame and fear. The company of God that had once brought them great joy suddenly brought panic. They had shunned obedience for the rumor of freedom, and they learned that they had been sold a bill of goods. They were reluctant to walk through the door of obedience, So they stepped through the door of addiction. And their descendants, you and me, have been following suit with the same predictably tragic results. Now here's another recognition that will encourage you to walk through those doors that we're often reluctant to open. Obedience to God doesn't destroy our individuality. It enhances it. One look around this room should make it very obvious that God intended each of us to be unique. And if you don't have the gift of sight, your ears will tell you the same thing. God intended each of us to be unique. So the notion that obeying God will destroy your individuality is what I like to call yesterday's demonic garbage. It's been sitting around since Lucifer's rebellion, and it smells really bad. It's an ugly rumor that needs to be taken to the curb. Because God isn't in the business of creating clones. He's making disciples. There's a big difference. When we obey God, we become ourselves rather than the echoes of addiction. Somebody has once said, you are never more yourself than when you are entirely God's. So the call to obedience is God's invitation to self-discovery, true self-discovery. Back in the 16th century, and no, I wasn't around back then, a wagon pulled up to an artist's studio in Rome. And three workmen worked very hard at unloading a huge block of fresh cut marble. And they wrestled it through the doorway into the artist's studio. Once they had it inside, they took a break. And one of the workmen said, isn't that the ugliest piece of marble you have ever seen? And the other two nodded in full agreement. The artist asked them, guys, what do you see in that block? And they answered, just a big scarred hunk of stone. The artist, who happened to be named Michelangelo, replied, well, I see the young King David. You come back in three months and you'll see him too. I share that story because we all begin life like that block of marble. It's only when we submit to the artistry of God that the identity He He intended for us begins to gradually emerge. Here's another recognition. The book of Acts demonstrates again and again and again that all spiritual boldness, all spiritual power is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But in order to empower us, the Holy Spirit must command us. God has to command us if he's going to transform us. The Holy Spirit must command us if he's going to empower us. Because the chief enemy of the work of God's Spirit is what the Bible refers to as the flesh. That simply means human will and human intellect and human emotions acting independently of God, doing their own thing. And Scripture says the flesh is of no profit whatsoever. Why? Because it removes God from the equation, and I take his place. And anything that begins with me rather than God is doomed for disappointment. You see, self-reliance, even in matters of faith, is just another form of disobedience. It's idolatry. And the Holy Spirit cannot bless and empower idolatry even when we're attempting to serve the purposes of God. Now, before we close, I want to remind you that recovery doesn't happen overnight. Scripture makes it clear that obedience isn't given. It's learned. Life is given. Forgiveness is given. Understanding is given. Power is given. But when the Scriptures speak of obedience, Scripture refers to it as something that has to be learned. We have to learn obedience. And that process requires faith. It requires patience. It requires acceptance. And it requires intentional effort on our part. You don't learn obedience by having somebody pray over you. You don't learn obedience by going to special meetings where somebody renowned around the world is preaching the gospel of Christ. You learn obedience on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, patient process. And it begins when you faithfully study God's Word. Hence our 91-week journey with Jesus, and now our 91-week with the Holy Spirit journey. Because Scripture reveals God's commands. How can you obey commands that you don't even know about? And you won't know the commands of God unless you study the Word of God. But Scripture does more than reveal God's commands. It reveals His heart. Remember I said God's commands are just His way of revealing His heart in language we can relate to, language that we can understand. Furthermore, when you read God's Word, it illustrates how He honors obedience. And that encourages you to be obedient. Second thing you must do to learn obedience, you must learn through practice to wait upon God in prayer, to ask God for understanding, for discernment, for courage, and for resolve. Third, you have to accept the fact that obedience will often lead you into a head-on collision with human culture and with human thinking. That certainly was the case For Peter and the Apostles. You won't win popularity contests among unsaved people by obeying God. Fourth, you have to accept the fact that God will occasionally allow you to walk in the dark so that you learn to trust Him and not your circumstances. And there is a big difference. And fifth, like anyone in recovery you have to expect struggles. And finally, never judge the merits of obedience on the immediate consequences of obedience. In a sin-fractured world where the majority of people still wear the colors of the rebellion, obedience to God will often put you in a hard place. Just ask Peter and the apostles. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Virtually all of them died for that declaration. But if you'll persevere, if you'll learn obedience, here are two things you'll discover. First negative, then positive. God's commands aren't a burden They are a source of great reward. And those who refuse them essentially extract their own core as human beings and hollow themselves out. You see, to disobey God is to leave your life void of weight and substance. To disobey God is to walk out on the one work project that will outlast any and every recession. To disobey God is to begin the slow process of converting yourself into a spiritual derelict. And since addiction is the sickness that convinces us we're well, if you choose to disobey God, you'll eventually end up hating the light, hating the truth, hating the good and living on the mean streets of outer darkness, a place of self-deprivation of your own making. Hell has been called, and appropriately so, nothing more than the skid row of the universe for those who didn't want to be well. But if you will obey God, if you will obey God, if you'll come to better understand obedience to God, then you'll begin to see that obeying God isn't knuckling under to somebody more powerful than you. Because God doesn't need and God doesn't desire to bully you into submission. God has nothing to prove. God doesn't need your obedience to prove that he's God. God doesn't need your obedience to prove that he created the heavens and the earth and that he holds them together. God doesn't need your obedience to prove that he is sovereign over the universe. God doesn't need your obedience. And God doesn't want your begrudging, whining, moaning, complaining obedience. God wants your devoted freedom. Let me say that again. He doesn't want your begrudging obedience. He wants your devoted freedom. His grace wasn't given to just balance the ledger of His justice. His grace was given to stimulate your abundant life to renew you and bring you out of your former addiction. So when we obey, we rise to our full stature as sons and daughters of God. We mature into the image of God in which we were created. We become capable of filling adult roles in God's continuing drama of redemption. God doesn't want slaves. God wants intelligent children. He doesn't want slaves. He wants intelligent children who obey because they're intelligent and who are intelligent because they obey. That's what God wants for you. Not your begrudging submission, but your devoted freedom. Not slavery, but intelligent children. God calls us to obey, and if we will, we'll learn that all commands to obey God are simply commands to be joyful in Him, to find your joy in Him. And since He's unchanging, and since He's eternal, and since He's perfect, And since he's complete, lacking nothing, what does that mean for the joy that you'll find? It too will be eternal and perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So do yourself a great, great favor. Commit yourself to obey God. Don't be reluctant to open that door because on the other side, There is abundant life. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we often run from the things that promise us blessing, and we often run to the things that assure us of loss. We have to learn obedience. And I pray, Father, through these two weeks of apologetic teaching about obedience to our Creator, I pray that you have given us new insights, new recognitions, new convictions, new confidence to put off the old, put on the new, obey you in all things, and discover our joy our humanity, our power, our freedom, and our identity in you and in obedience. Lord, we need to learn to obey, and we know that when we're ready as students, the teacher will appear. So, Father, help us to commit ourselves to learning obedience. And Spirit of the living God, be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.